0: hello you've chosen to listen to fantastic noise in this episode we speak with georgia Cohn, producer and journalist and a part of the bbc long form audio team I'm Terry Lee, Senior Tutor in Radio and Audio at the University of Bedfordshire. Thanks for your time and your ears. Did you know that the BBC had a long-form audio team? It's true! And in this episode, we're going to dive a little deeper into what makes audio long-form exactly. Thankfully for us all, I won't be doing this alone. Georgia Cohn is an award-winning podcast producer, investigative journalist and presenter who currently works in the BBC long-form audio department. She's produced and reported for award-winning podcasts like Radio 4's Beyond Today, BBC News' youth podcast The Next Episode and plenty more that you'll be hearing about shortly. Her stories have been featured on BBC Newsbeat, Radio 4 You and Yours and online. She was also named in the Radio Academy's 30 Under 30 list for young people working in radio and audio. So go Georgia! Best of all for me, she's a Lutonian. And she agreed to meet with me in the Radiolab studios back in September. And there's a sticker, the Radiolab sticker, oh, yeah, which is yeah. the front of the, the microphone on that one. Right, okay. I imagine you'll sound marvellous, but I'll... Georgia has lots of experiences to share about making long-form audio projects and working at the BBC. After this conversation, I will be telling you about something I've enjoyed listening to and reveal our radio word of the week. But first, let's hear a quick clip of Georgia in action for the next episode in 2020 before going in to our conversation.
1: Oh, I think we might have a story here, you know. Oh,
0: yeah, what is it?
1: Uh, so, you know that story that we did on Gypsy Roman Travellers? I think it was last year, was it?
0: Yeah, uh... Right, great. About not getting enough support UNIT? Yeah.
1: yeah, so um, I started following some of the...
0: Georgia, you've been at the BBC in know. various uh, roles now for nearly seven years.
1: Yes, almost.
0: <laughs> so you're currently working uh, with the long-form audio team as a journalist. What, what exactly is meant by long-form audio?
1: That's a very good question. So our team, our department, should I say, we make programmes for different outlets essentially so those outlets commission us to make programs so we make programs for Radio 4 World Service and BBC Sounds and long form audio is really just is often a series of programs each episode will be 20 30 minutes sometimes longer but often our department are making a series for that outlet so i've just made a series about the cost of living crisis for radio four and it was four episodes at about 25 minutes each so essentially that's what we do on a regular basis and if you work in that team you move around so you work on different programmes, and then there's also ad hoc programmes that are being commissioned and then made. For example, the the series that I'd just come off the back of working on. Uh, I now work on a programme called The Climate when Question. When we deploy
0: Bruce Willis against climate change?
1: It's an unlikely climate question, but bear with us. You've seen
0: the disaster movies.
1: A scientist working behind the scenes. Nerdy, glasses, spots a pattern in the data. Something's not right. Something suspicious. Something Which is a really interesting programme that we make for World Service, which looks at climate change, which obviously is quite relevant at the moment. So you're working on lots of different programmes, but obviously always making audio.
0: Perhaps the next obvious question to follow up, the defining differences between short form and, and long form audio.
1: So I would say, I guess an example would be quite helpful. So we have this programme that we make for BBC Sounds, the um, radio. So you've got the radio newsroom. And the idea is that they make programmes that are daily, kind of short form and they have this podcast called five minutes on which is one story of the day that everyone's talking about and then they dissect it and kind of go a bit deeper into what the story is about where it's come from okay. why everyone's talking Certainly about it
0: big chunks of it hasn't survived contact with reality the markets
1: were spooked Tory mps were spooked more so how did this u-turn come about and where does it leave quasi Kwarteng, the new chancellor and by extension Prime Minister. I'm Chris Mason, the BBC's political
0: editor, and this is five minutes on the government's colossal U turn.
1: And I would say that that is short form because of the length, but also the fact that it is daily, it's going out kind of on a regular basis. It's not a series of programmes or, you know, a, a podcast series in the sense that it's like a set number of episodes that go out at, you know, over a certain period of time. So that's what I would class as being kind of an example of short form, whereas long form, The, the team that we sit under, we also have a podcast called I'm Not A Monster. This could be my last time online.
0: The email was from a woman called Sam. She'd left behind a comfortable life in America to go to the ISIS caliphate in Syria with her family. Sam's husband became an Islamic State group sniper her young son was forced to Which um,
1: in was quite popular, actually. Just, or they're just about to launch a, a second series. But the first series was, was about an ISIS bride and kind of her story and where she came from. She'd she'd kind of moved across, and but essentially she'd been radicalised. So it's her story about how she became radicalised and that podcast was made under the long form audio team so that i would say is an example of that kind of storytelling over a longer period of time rather than that kind of short snappy this is what the story is about this is what we're doing end of conversation kind of move on to the next story Mm.
0: there are probably advantages and 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 disadvantages of of having long form audio for example So as part of the long form team there'll be certain aspects of short form audio which you're kind of envious of because presumably, with long-form audio, you have to do more preparation work.
1: That's actually quite interesting because I went from working on Newscast, which is a daily news pod. Here, uh,
0: Afzal, who's a former chief prosecutor in the northwest of England from the Crown Prosecution Service, um, and is now doing all sorts of stuff in this area about combating violence against women and girls. Hello. Hello, um, Tibus. Hi. Right.
1: That is very different from the stuff that the rest of long-form audio makes in the sense that, as you say, the preparation for a long-form bit of programming is very different. And you're building up relationships with people over a longer period of time. So the contributors that are going to come onto that program, you kind of have to build up that relationship over a few months and try and find the best people. And you're almost a bit of a, a casting director in a sense because you're you're going out and you're finding the people who are the best storytellers. It's not just about, I'm going to walk up to someone on the street and get their story. It's very much like, you know, I need to find someone who's going to be able to tell their story in a really concise but descriptive way and and, you know, find people who... Also have a really powerful story, which is you know sometimes quite difficult because you might have an amazing story, but you might not be the best storyteller, and you might not be as descriptive. Um, so you're in essence you're kind of going out. Whereas what when you work on something that is daily and a little bit more kind of fast pace, because that person's probably going to be on for no longer than ten minutes it's often you know not as important that they're going into those finer details um well as long form it is all about the storytelling you know how can i get this person to tell their story in a way that is really engaging that really grabs the audience because it's a longer, you know you're listening to that podcast or that program for 20 to 30 minutes so you've got to sustain that person's attention for a much longer period of time and therefore it is i would say more challenging in many ways obviously it's not as high pressure in the sense that it's like right okay your deadline is six o'clock you need to find this person before then i I find it has very different challenges and also you can't just like at the end of the day say right that's it we're done i'm I'm clocking off at six o'clock which sometimes you can with with a daily news pod or a, mm. or a daily news program. When you're working on something long form, sometimes you find that you're working on it in the weekends. You know, you're working on it after hours because you want it to sound the best that it can, and you really want to get the best from from the people that you're you're inviting to come on and tell their story. So yeah, in some ways, you don't really just click click off of of that.
0: I guess there's obvious differences as well between the work that you're doing with Radio 4 programmes and podcasts the uh, differences between that and, and working on say uh, a live programme on a, a local station, you m- you mentioned pressing deadlines and with a live programme it's it's happening there and then whereas with some of the work that you're talking about it's you get a chance to edit it and curate things and, and yeah. tell a story,
1: craft it a little bit more. In many ways I think that that's more challenging mm. than having a live programme because there is that having worked in local radio and when I worked at Free counties I was producing some of the live content um, and I'd produce the lunchtime show and you'd have to find free guests every single day which is probably the most challenging part of it because if you if you would set that task in network it would be a very different situation because yeah in local you have the advantage of you've got a smaller area you know so you're only finding people from that from that place and and also the great thing about local radio is that you're really you're really part of the community mm. and the community are on your doorstep in essence and therefore you have a stronger relationship with the audience Whereas when you're working in networks, sometimes you don't have as close of a connection so a lot of the time you're relying on facebook groups or social media communities where you can find these people to come on your programs but the thing about live content is that there's a pressure in the sense that it is you know it's live if something goes wrong that's it you know you can't do much about it but there's also i think a lot more pressure in having a pre-recorded program because a lot of the time you've got you know potentially three hours of content you've got to cut down into 20 minutes Uh, you're worried about getting the right information in there, cutting out the bits that actually people really care about. You're trying to see it from the audience's point of view of, you know, are they going to care about this as much as I care about it? Probably not. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think it has many more challenges than than live content and I think sometimes with live content you can go right it that didn't work on today's program so tomorrow we'll do something different Whereas as with long form you put out that content and you can't go back and change it if that makes sense sure a
0: lot of our listeners Georgia will be intrigued to know how um, with you know the various projects you've been involved with the BBC how your day-to-day uh, would have been and then your role in, in those projects exactly as well so it would be interesting if, we, like, thinking about over the last couple of years, you've worked on a number of things. For example, the next episode podcast. With that podcast, what would have been your role in the grand scheme of the existence of that podcast series?
1: Yeah. So the next episode was very different to other BBC content in the sense that we were trying to hit an audience that maybe doesn't naturally gravitate towards the BBC so our audience were um 18 to 25 year olds and we were trying to get well people from a working class background essentially so similar to my own background really which is why I enjoyed working on it so much um so we were talking about issues um, that were affecting that audience on a day-to-day basis so we did lots of different topics but the idea was that each week we would do I guess they were like mini investigations really Mm. and a lot of the time it was quite challenging because we were doing stories that you know a program like Panorama would take months to do and we were trying to do it in a week which Mm. you know sometimes was quite high pressure the really interesting thing about that program is that the storytelling the way that we were doing it hadn't really been done before it was very unique in that sense
0: well tell us more Yes, tell us explain what storytelling process was like
1: yeah so we were we were quite a young team so it was a team of people who really understood that audience and had connections with those people on a regular basis which I thought was was great and I think is very important because if you're making a program for a particular audience you want to have that connection you want that to be authentic and if you don't understand the audience it's going to come out in the content you're going to be able to hear that you've not done your research and you don't know any of the people that listen to it so we had a great team of really talented young people working on it um who yeah just really understood what people were talking about what was happening on social media and we would have these weekly meetings where we would come up with an idea we'd say look look lots of people are talking about this we should do a bit of digging and we would investigate that issue for an episode i ended up in a situation where i was not just producing but i also reported on a few episodes as well so there were stories where i essentially said i'd really like to look into this issue i'd like to investigate it." can I have a go? And our bosses were quite, you know, they, they they liked the idea of giving us that creative freedom and being able to say, okay, you know, yes, we might not understand this story, but you go off and do the research and essentially bring it back to us in a place where we can make it into an episode. So there were lots of stories that I worked on where I just said, I want to do my own freedom of information request mm-hmm. and do a bit of like, you know, my investigation hat on really, uh, where I would go and I would find these stories and one of my one of the episodes I did was about an inpatient facility in Middlesbrough. So right now I'm standing outside the place where Christy's story ended, West Lane Hospital in Middlesbrough. On the 27th of June last year, Christy died whilst under the care of West Lane Hospital which provided mental health services to children and young people. When did you realise that Christy was, was struggling with her mental health and that there was issues there. It had been her whole life, really. We fought for years and years. You know, there is something she's not... Where right they had from. had a, a, number of, um, a number of deaths in their CAMS unit up there. And we went up there to Middlesbrough and we recorded this content and we were standing outside the hospital, you know describe and what was going on because obviously that's that's the thing about audio as well is the creativity is is a different level because you can't you don't rely on the visuals you know mm. it's all about describing what's going on and going into those really small details the type of details that usually if you're having a conversation with someone you wouldn't even think to to talk about but when it's audio you really want to go into you know what colour the door handle was, the sounds, the kind of what's going on around you, what you can see. Mm. So we were standing outside this hospital in Middlesbrough, and you know the staff were coming up and saying, "Are you allowed to be here?" <laughs> it was just like, <laughs> and we call that all on you know it, as part of the episode and. I think those types of stories lend themselves very well to audio because we were telling the story of this young woman who'd unfortunately lost her life in this inpatient facility and we had the stats, so I'd done a Freedom of Information request and I'd found out how many young people had unfortunately um, lost their lives under the care of inpatient facilities. And you had the data and the stats, which yes are very interesting but people want to know the personal stories Mm. they want to be able to connect with someone on a level where it's they can relate to that person in essence i feel like the human stories are what people really want to hear they don't want to hear the data it's like tell me about this person's story why they came to basically how their story ended so we were kind of telling this story of this young young woman called chrissy and we were using audio of her You know, she was big into singing, so we used some audio of her singing and her YouTube videos and just little snippets of her life to really give a story of who she was. And then we spoke to her parents and it was the first time her mum had spoken to anyone. So we built up that relationship, or I built up that relationship over a number of months. Um, And then we went to visit them and spend some time with them. So what we were doing really was we were we were talking about stories that young people really cared about, but in a way that, you know, the storytelling I think was so important to us on that podcast with any long form program. I think that it it comes down to the characters. It comes down to the way you're telling the story. It's, it's not just, this is the beginning, this is the middle and this is the end. You have to think about that narrative arc and where you're going with that story and ultimately where you end up and the lessons that are learned from, from that. So that's what we were trying to do with the next episode. It's,
0: it's really important to, to emphasise the, you those know, personal and human stories and how effective they are um, in, in terms of capturing listeners' imagination mm. and keeping them engaged. Um, what about uh, in, in terms of some of the other podcast projects you've been involved with, such as Newscast, which uh, I guess for, for people that aren't so familiar is like a long-running daily almost like conversational news style podcast the BBC produces what would be your role with that
1: I had been working on um, so newscast actually started during the pandemic um, and it was originally the coronavirus newscast and the idea was that it was there to put out that that information to the public and help people understand what was going on at the time because Essentially, a lot of people were quite scared, you know, it was very new, we didn't know what was going on. So that podcast was a public service, because we were putting out that information and, and, you know, hopefully giving people answers to the questions that they had. Uh, And I moved on to the podcast when it became newscast, so, you know, after a few months it then became kind of more about what was happening in the news agenda once Corona was less of Mm. a priority, should we say. It's, It's a great podcast to work on because the experience that you get from it is just amazing. Uh, because, you know, you have a, a set amount of hours that you work, so it's kind of shift work where, you know, depending on what you're working on, you've got the planning shift, and then you've got the production shift, which is, you know, putting out on, and producing the daily, the daily episode. And the idea is that, as a producer, you know, you wake up in the morning, you'd be reading your newspapers or not necessarily, well, I don't think anyone really reads the newspapers anymore. You know, you do it a lot online. So, you know, you'd be reading The Guardian or, you know, BBC News, um, obviously, Um, or you'd be, you know, looking at all these different publications, kind of get an understanding of what the big headlines of the day were then you'd have your morning meeting or usually your morning meeting's like midday because mm. the podcast doesn't get recorded until about six o'clock. Right. So you would have your meeting, you chat about like what the big stories of the day are, what's happening, who you might invite to come on to speak about it. Uh, and the great thing about NewsGast is that you have the presenter Adam Fleming who is very much embedded in politics and what's happening in Westminster, which is great because then... You have these people that you you can go back to time and time again, and you have these kind of connections to that world, um, which is great because you'll invite someone on and they'll say, "Oh, I love newscast, yeah," or they've been on on the program before, so it's a lot easier to build that relationship. So yeah, you'd have your morning meeting, and essentially you're allocated a story or a segment because you have about three segments of the podcast. You've got your pre intro, and then it's usually kind of the top stories of the day. And so you're, you're allocated uh, a part of the podcast and as a producer, you book your guest, you'd be across the recording, you'd, you'd brief your, the presenter and then obviously you, you'd listen into the rec- recording at six o'clock and then you would edit that down to be part of the final podcast, which mm. is mixed and, and put together.
0: Interesting. So from what you're saying, you, your role is a very, like, it's an all-day experience where well, it's a lot of hours, the planning stage, including the recording stage and after like the post production stage. Yeah. How does it get signed off and published?
1: So we have um we have an SM, so we have a sound mixer who helps put the podcast together essentially. So they'll be across the recording. Yeah. We have Newscast has its own studio right. um, where other podcasts are made as well. Americast, um if you don't if you don't know which is the one extra podcast that the team also makes So there's lots of different podcasts that come out of that team. The idea is that that studio is ours, really. So newscast will have it for a set period of time. So we will have it from like six till seven. Adam will be in the studio. We book all of our interviews and our guests for those time slots. And he will just sit in there and do the recording for an hour. And the way that we record it means that it's a lot easier to edit as well because you've not got like a bit over here, a bit over there. Like that is the worst thing as a producer when you have a bit of audio where you have to cut it down to a certain time period. And then there's kind of you mm. know, oh, this the, the pre intro is over and this bit and the end of the interview is over in that section. So the way that we record it makes it easier because we know okay adam sat in the studio for this period of time and this is where this part of the interview is because adam is very well briefed it's you don't really have to cut too much out either which is quite good you know he's yeah he's he's a great presenter like that he's very much like okay this is my brief this is what i'm going to do you know he he comes up with with his own questions as well which is great so i would say that the yeah the whole the whole process really with the sm is a vital part of the team really I always Mm. say to people I'm like you forget how important you know your sound managers your sound mixers are because the work that they do and how they make the product sound at the end of the day being able to mix the music in and the sound effects and obviously we're we're part of that process as well but you know that that person at the end of the day who then puts the episode together on the next episode we didn't we actually put the episodes together ourselves so we didn't have someone who kind of did it for us Mm. and that was a great experience because you're able to kind of be there from start to finish and to the conception and and we used to use a lot of music from um from introducing bbc introducing okay so we would like kind of pick four tracks that would go throughout the episode and then we would reach out to those artists and get them to share it on their social media so it was a great way to cross-contaminate in a sense so you know we would get artists involved in what we were doing and you know hopefully we would also give them a bit of promotion as well newscast because it's daily and it's quite you know we need to get the episode out at that time obviously it's it's really helpful to have someone who can help you put the episode together so yeah
0: you know, you you just mentioned cross contamination, and, and yeah, I know it's
1: not the best saying, is it? No, really? Cross contamination, but, <laughs> but it's an interesting
0: way of putting, it, and and it made me think about how, for example, you're working, you know, at New Broadcasting House, mm. which is the home of a lot of different BVC projects and radio and and TV, and like you've mentioned the big newsroom, which anyone who has had the opportunity to go to New Broadcasting House, you you walk in. And in front of you, or just, weirdly, just below in front of you, is this, this huge ground floor of um, journalists. I wonder, you know, if you're working on a, a big project, Georgia, um, you, you mentioned going up to Middlesbrough, for example, and, and speaking with people, do you ever find working on a story it then gets picked up by other areas of, of BBC journalism so you're working on it for a specific podcast but then uh, Radio 1's Newsbeat might want to, to speak to you about something or another BBC news department might want to, to have a conversation with you or get you on Uh, to report as part of their bulletins or something.
1: Yeah, we had that quite a lot with the next episode because it was original journalism. It was all our own stories. Uh, We would have it with newscasts as well, but it would tend to be if we had someone who was... You know, we'd have an exclusive interview. So, for example... Uh, I booked Dr. Alex from Love Island mm. and he had it was so crazy because I wanted to book him the week before and we were a bit on the fence about it because we were like, oh, we don't know. He's not really doing anything at the moment. He'd been making these TikTok videos throughout the pandemic, he wasn't really kind of in the news agenda if that makes sense so we were unsure about whether to book him or not but I kept saying oh you know I think he's really good you know we should get him on and then literally the more I think it was a few days before we got him on it was announced that he was the mental health ambassador for number 10 mm. so it was like oh my gosh this is a big story we need to get him on we need to kind of get this exclusive interview with him and we got this interview because we'd already you know been in contact with mm. his manager and we'd already built up that relationship I was able to then get him on and ITV picked it up and I think uh, Grazia picked it up there was a, like, quite a few outlets that then picked it up but in terms of BBC content and you know other parts of BBC picking up on stories I found that we we had that quite a lot with the next episode because as i say we were doing stories that maybe other parts of the bbc weren't doing and they were quite interesting you know especially we had data or stats like the foi that i'd done myself a few people were saying oh yeah you know i'm interested because of the fact that there's this exclusive data But I also do quite a bit of my own original journalism outside of my day job. So I did a story. Well, it was off the I think it was towards the end of um, 2020, where I decided that I wanted to look into how cam services had been affected by the pandemic kind of, you know, in early months. And so I did my own freedom of information requests. I collected it all in a document, um, in a spreadsheet, which may I say was one of the most stressful things I've ever done <laughs> in my life. It was just insane. Uh, but I actually think it's a really important part of finding your own stories and, and getting those exclusives. And I was able to do this story about how referrals had, had fallen and and, you know, essentially a lot of young people hadn't been accessing mental health services so that story was then picked up by I did it by myself so at that point I didn't have an outlet for it and then I had to kind of sell it to different parts of the BBC so Newsbeat ended up taking it so that was kind of the the main hub for it so we did an article I did a a radio package um, but then it was also picked up by the six o'clock news. So um, th- their correspondent went out and did his own package off the back of my story and my exclusive data. Mm. So he that went out on the six and it also went out on a few of the uh, radio 4 programs as well, the bulletins. So it, essentially it got quite a good bit of pickup really for a story that I'd done by myself in my bedroom kind yeah. of you know tapping away in an Excel spreadsheet. And I think that's the great bit of working at the BBC is that you have all these connections to all these different teams. And if you have your story or you have a connection, you can hopefully get that picked up by lots of different parts of the Beeb. And you can really kind of get a lot of pick up for that story. So, yeah, I think that's that's the great part of working in such a big organisation.
0: Georgia, do you think of yourself more as a a journalist or or an audio producer? Which one would you put first?
1: That's a really good question. I personally would say that I'm a journalist before anything else, because, well, I still, I work for BBC News anyway, mm. so being a journalist is a big part of that role, because it's not just making the programme, it's the editorial part of, of putting that programme together as well. So when you're dealing with more vulnerable contributors or when you're in a position where you're in essence kind of dealing with more sensitive topics it's really important to have those skills that you've built up as a journalist Mm. I would say that on a day-to-day basis journalism and being a journalist is is what I do most and the producer element of it comes in kind of after once you've recorded I guess during the recording, actually, because as as a producer, I, I would say that the two roles have a lot of overlap. Sure. The producer role for me is more about how the quality of the audio, how it sounds. Is this person clear enough? Is this mic good enough quality? Is it, which is a you know a really big part of the role. And I would say I'm extremely fussy when it comes to audio quality now, which I think is a big part of the job because you get to such a standard that you almost don't accept anything mediocre it's like no if it's not good enough I'm not doing it mm. you know I'm only going to record it on this program with this mic etc but i would say that journalism that's kind of part of what you do on a day-to-day basis in your job you know if i'm when i'm phoning people up to be part of programs and i'm interviewing them uh, you know doing pre-interviews doing the research Research is such a big part of working in the media industry. You know, especially if you're a journalist, I would say ninety percent of the job is research. Which sometimes, just to, to people, is like research. That's boring. I don't really, you know, that's the most boring part of the role. Actually, it's not. It's the most important because that's the the part that allows you to understand if a story is a story and whether you should pursue it or not, and kind of you know what information you need to tell that story. So I. I personally would say that I'm a journalist more than a producer, but the two have such a overlap, you know, and it really depends on what you want in my email signature. It's just journalist slash producer because, (laughs) you know, (laughs) it's like, I, I can't really, sometimes it's, you know, I'm, when you discuss it with certain people sometimes when you say journalist it, a lot of the time it turns people off like when you're talking to mm. people and you want them to come on your programs and you say oh yeah i'm a journalist sometimes they're like oh because they're seeing you know
0: you want to scoop on them. yeah
1: like tabloid journalism or you know they're kind of their mind jump not that there's anything wrong with tabloid journalism sure. by the way but they're jumping straight to this idea of like oh you know are you gonna try and pick apart my story mm. and actually sometimes when you say oh yeah i'm a producer people are like oh okay they're almost you know they because they they don't really see the difference i think but actually i would say personally especially when you work in news i mean if you work for like you know bbc studios for example and you're making audio uh, you probably don't do a lot of journalism in in that role because it's more about the actual production and putting putting it together and the quality and but uh, yeah i would say that a big part of of my job in long-form audio is journalism
0: going back to the start of your BBC journey. It was at BBC Free Counties Radio where you started, is that yes, true? Yes. So yeah. you've since produced you know, a lot of work for podcasts. So BBC Free Counties is a radio station aimed at an older audience locally in uh, the Bedfordshire Hearts and Bucks area, whereas yes. um, some of the podcasts that you've described are, are for uh, young people nationally. Ultimately, my question is, how mindful are you of your audience in terms of who they are and how they listen to, to their audio when you're producing something?
1: I would say that thinking about your audience and, being, and understanding who that audience is that you're making that programme for is such an important part of your role because, for example, when you were talking about local radio, local radio, yes, has an older audience I also used to produce the digital videos for Free County's social media pages and actually that would often skew a lot younger because of the fact that people would be scrolling through Facebook and suddenly this video would come up on, uh, well one of the craziest videos I ever did was about a chihuahua festival. I literally got picked up by BBC Free, it got picked up by The One Show, it got picked up by all these different kind of social media pages because it was so popular we found a lot of those digital videos were actually being watched by Mm 18-year-olds you know yes still kind of a lot of the time in the local area but a lot younger audiences than the radio so actually I think the digital element of local is a lot I wouldn't say a lot more important I guess in many ways it's as important as you know it there should not just be a focus on the radio side of things it should be also about how what we're doing on on digital as well and the fact that sometimes they're very different audiences i i always remember in local radio they used to have this this idea of the audience where essentially you would have two uh, examples of two people Mm. and they were very specific examples where it was like here's june who lives in this area and she listens to this and she does this or here's john i'm, I'm obviously yeah, sure. i don't remember off the top of my <laughs> head but it was like you know here are these two people and i also do a lot for um i'm part of the bbc raised group which is a staff network right. for working class staff so staff from working class backgrounds and they often do these little same kind of concept really where you go into teams as someone from raised and you say especially if those teams are maybe struggling to reach those audiences, you say, right, okay, here is an example of this person that you need to aim your content towards. This is what they do. This is how much money they make. This is the job that they have. I actually find that really helpful because sometimes, especially when you're in network, it's not as difficult in local because you're really part of the community when you're in local, you know. So for example, at Free Counties Radio, the studio is based in the middle of the park. Mm. where people can just walk up they could literally just knock on the door say oh can we'd often have that people just walk up and say oh can I have a quick chat to Justin Dealey or can I have a quick chat to Roberto and it it was you're almost part of the community in that sense and actually sometimes it's really easy to understand your audience when you're in the thick of it and you know you can literally just go outside and you can talk to someone who is who listens to Free Counties Radio whereas when you're in network that is a lot more difficult you're not part of that can't just go outside and I guess you could walk down Oxford Street but you're going to find a certain type of person you're not necessarily going to find the audience that you're looking for so it's it's a lot more challenging in that respect but that's why I think it's so important to like not be behind your desk all the time mm-hmm. and actually just be going out into the community and talking to people that's why I'm still connected to my roots in many ways and i'm still like a big part of you know what's happening in luton and what's happening in the local area because i never want to lose that i don't ever want to be in a position where i'm going i don't know what's going on in luton i don't know who the people are i don't know what they are what they're up to or what they what they watch or what they listen to or whatever so i actually think it's really important to have very detailed understanding of who your audience is at the next episode we had a whatsapp group and not a whatsapp group we'd have have a whatsapp number and people would send us messages so we would do a program we did one about brexit and we did one about the general election as well where we got young people to send us in voice notes and they were the episode so they you know we would play out their voice notes you know mix it in with some music their reaction to the general election their reaction to brexit and again that was something that hadn't really been done before and has not been done since i think it's a really good format though and and should definitely be you know utilized somehow but we would say you know now we had those contacts with people we would reach out and say what do you want to hear from us what stories do you want to hear what What are you talking about with your mates? What's going on? You know, so we would try and get that information from our audience directly to find out what it is that they wanted from us. And a lot of the time, I think it's really important that you get that acknowledgement from the audience, but also get that feedback to say, Oh, you know, this could have been better, or I wish you talked about this, or Can you talk about this, you know, story that everyone's talking about on TikTok at the moment? I just think it's really important. And also, annoyingly, we didn't have. Or TikTok wasn't as big when we had the next episode. And I do think that if we had launched around the same time that TikTok became really big, Mm. that would have been really helpful to us because I feel like TikTok essentially allows you to understand the audience so well because you can see what's popular. I know obviously you have your For You page, which is set to you and what you like and your interests. But a lot of the time you're able to kind of to see exactly what it is that your audience are engaging with and what's popular and what everyone's talking about. And, you know, it, sometimes it's ridiculous stuff like the corn song or like, you know, stuff where it's just. But what I love about being on those platforms is the fact that I understand what everyone's talking about. Like I get it. And I. it's, for example, you've got Andrew Tate, which I know lots of people are talking about him at the moment. Mm. who And he's from Luton, you know, something like that, where. Nobody really knows, mainstream, no one really knows who he is. But everyone was talking about him on social media because... Of what he was doing on TikTok, and the fact that lots of that audience were talking about him on TikTok. And if we still had the next episode today, we would probably have done an episode about him yeah. because, you know, we understand that's what our audience want and what our audience are talking about. I think audience is such a, a big part of, of what we do. And I mean, with something like Newscast, we had quite a, a wide audience, you know, so our audience is not just like this person from this place or this person from that place, it's, you know, across the country. From, from different backgrounds and different walks of life and sometimes that makes it a bit more difficult mm. but because we're talking about general news stories we're talking about things that are kind of in the public domain and everyone's talking about anyway it's not as difficult but yeah I think if you're talking about a very specific audience of people you know for example the One Extra podcast that is aimed towards a community of people and if you don't understand what that community are talking about and, and what that audience want it's like uh, you know should you should you really be working on that podcast so it's like yeah essentially that's why I think it's so important to have people who are authentic as well and understand the audience working on that product and that's not to say that you know oh you can't work on that you know you can't work on that program for working class audiences because you're from this class or because you don't understand or because you're not kind of but I do think it's really important to at least have you know, some of those people in that team who do get it and understand what we're talking about and just yeah get, get the audience and, and know what is popular and what's not.
0: Presumably as well you are telling stories differently for uh, Radio 4 than, than the way that you tell a story when, when you are doing the next episode. Like, there, there was a, There's a whole different style and, and sound and people listening would instantly pick up the difference.
1: Yeah, definitely. I, th- I think as well that that's if, if I'm listening to programmes, if I have a programme that's aimed at, for example, if, if I'm, when we have the next episode, if you were to listen to the next episode and it sounded like, I used to work on Beyond Today as well mm. for Radio 4, if I was listening to that and it sounded like Beyond Today... I'd be like, hmm, that's something's not right there because that's not the audience we're trying to reach. It's a very different group of people. And so the tone, you know, the sound, I think is so important as well. You know, when you're reaching those younger audiences who you've got so much choice, there's so much out there. And are you going to sit and listen to a 20-minute podcast if it's not grabbing you in the first few minutes? Probably not because you're not interested. You know, you've not grabbed me, you've not grabbed my attention. So it is about... You know the tone of it how snappy it is I also talk a lot about kind of this idea of assumed assume knowledge is, is the term but this idea that especially with younger audiences I am gonna I'm assuming that you already know what I'm talking about well no actually if if an 18 19 year old is listening and doesn't understand brexit mm. what is brexit what how is it going to affect my life what does it mean to me you have to explain it to them in a way that's going to make sense so
0: and doesn't bore them exactly <laughs> and
1: which is very difficult you know yeah. it's very difficult to make brexit sexy essentially mm. it's like oh no that's that's actually a really difficult task but yeah i think that that's it's so important to understand your audience so that you know the tone you know the types of music that you would use you know the terms even like certain terms with the one extra podcast there's certain kind of our presenter, de who is absolutely amazing, very talented guy. He when he talks, he sounds like your mate. He sounds like your mate that you would have a chat with down the pub with. I'm not I'm not bashing kind of the traditional kind of old school way of doing things, yeah. but when you're trying to reach a certain type of audience, you don't want to sound like a presenter from Radio 4 because right. that's not engaging. You want to sound like someone like like de who just he automatically sounds like your mate and you want to listen to what he's saying and he's really engaging. So, uh, yeah, I just think it's so important uh, in all elements you present uh, the topics that you're talking about, the music that you're using, the general vibe of your programme needs to fit Mm. who you're catering for.
0: It's so interesting. Georgia, thank you so much for your time. One last question for you, though, to ponder. Is there any one radio programme or podcast... That you would recommend listeners here go and have a listen to for any reason you like something that you've enjoyed
1: i mean it's been out for a few months now so it's not new but there's a really good podcast called harsh reality
0: okay tell us more
1: which uh it's a, well it's about um essentially it's about a reality tv show the setup of the show was that this young trans woman went on the show and the idea was there was a number of men who were kind of had to do tasks in order to date her. Mm. So uh, the actual program is about the ethics behind these types of reality TV shows, the kind of the questions around duty of care and how we look after people who go on those programs and actually whether sometimes we're doing it for the uh, the shock and the oh the drama of it rather than you know we're looking out for that person's well-being and and the way that that story is told it's presented by a by a trans woman as well which is great so you have that authenticity and and that diversity as well but the storytelling throughout and the way that the archive is weaved in and and the music and the interviews as well you really feel as though you're part of the process of this program being made and you know you there's moments where you're like why would you do that that's insane and you really i feel like the best podcasts are the ones where they really shock you mm-hmm. and they really kind of one of my favorite podcasts is radio lab which mm-hmm. is an american podcast yeah. i think I'm going to be a bit cheeky and say that the Americans are, you know, slightly ahead of us in terms of podcasting in the they've UK. Been, they've been
0: more serious about it for longer. Yeah, exactly,
1: but. exactly. And, and you know, they've got some amazing programmes. And Radiolab was one of my favourites. And I think that the, the thing about Radiolab is that the storytelling was always just absolutely amazing. And the way in which they kind of build you up. There was this episode that they did, which was about... Um, uh, it was about paranormal activity, and there was one of their producers who believed he had a ghost and then he'd invited these ghost um i guess i don't know what you would call them I guess kind of you know ghost investigators into his house, <laughs> and they'd recorded it all, so he'd actually recorded them coming into his house and and mm. you know the process of them like talking to the ghosts and and then because radio lab is obviously about the science at the end, they then explain. Yeah, you know, there's something to do with a flash. Obviously, I don't want to give too much away, but sure. there's a moment where you really jump out of your skin. And I remember listening to it on the walk to work one day, and literally like jumping so high because it terrified me. And I think podcasts are—I don't want to be a passive listener when I'm listening to a podcast. You know, I don't want to just have it on in the background like I would do the radio. I want to be really involved in the storytelling and what's happening, and feel like I'm actually there. So, yeah, I would say harsh reality, but also go listen to Radio Lab because. It's a classic and everyone who loves podcasts should be listening to it.
0: Big thanks to Georgia for her insight and her time. As always, loads of points to dissect. Here are just a few. Georgia talked about how in audio production, you have to take creativity to the next level. You don't have the pictures to fall back on. So you need to be descriptive to use sound to tell the story. And this is a key point. I'm always asking my students to record the sounds around them, to add more sound to projects, to put listeners in a place through sound. I also tell them I will never mark work down for them being too creative. Try things out. Some of Georgia's productions are very creative. We talked a little about pre-recorded audio versus live radio. Georgia suggested pre-recorded was more challenging. Whilst I can follow that argument, I think it's kind of hard to choose which is more challenging. Live radio, and the deadlines it has, can be extremely stressful, and riding the mistakes is a key skill to learn when you're doing the live radio. But, with crafting pre-recorded audio, there is no excuse for there not to be technical perfection. So that is a big challenge. When putting together a long-form production, Georgia compared her role to one of a casting director. I can follow that. Any given project does need the correct range of voices and protagonists. And it is the role of the producer to make sure that happens. And sometimes that does take a lot of relationship building. Georgia talked about the cross-contamination of journalism within the BBC. It was really interesting to hear about the story she researched that ended up going across various radio networks and even the BBC 6 o'clock news on TV. Say what you like about the BBC, there's no doubt it's a great place to get a job if you're looking to build a career in audio. As Georgia highlighted, there are ample networking opportunities and loads of chances for your work to find a platform. Finally, I loved hearing Georgia talking about the importance of being mindful of your audience and who it is, the style, the tone, the words you use... These things are going to be different depending on who it is you're making your audio for. Even thinking about the activities your audience partake in, the social media channels they use. Connecting with audience is key, and Georgia was really keen to stress that. Georgia Cone has her own website. I'd suggest you have a look. It's georgiacone.co.uk. That's G-E-O-R-G-I-A-C-O-A-N.co.uk. I'll put a link in the show notes. I would like to briefly talk about something I've enjoyed listening to recently. It fits in with the long-form audio theme, too. Doomsday Watch explores the geopolitical threats of tomorrow with Arthur Snell, a former diplomat and head of the international section of the UK's anti-terrorist programme Prevent. The series initially looked into a number of themes, including the crisis in American democracy and the unstoppable rise of China. But recently, the feed has been dominated with interviews and roundtable discussions regarding the war in Ukraine. It is made by the Podmasters team, but Arthur Snell is very much the driving personality throughout. It was interesting to listen to the episode about the geopolitics of Russia back in December last year, before the whole war in Ukraine kicked off in February. Doomsday Watch is available on your favourite podcast apps and well worth a listen. We've heard from Claire via email who has suggested we pursue an episode about TV spin-off podcasts. That's a really good idea, Claire, and I'll see what I can do. Thanks also to Nathan for his feedback about the music programming episode. He was particularly excited to hear about the need for new people with experience in scheduling music within commercial radio. I agree. That sounds like a great job. The sort of job I wish I had when I was first out of university. If you would like to contact us here at Fantastic Noise, be it with audio you recommend, stories, suggestions for future podcasts, feedback, or something else, find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at fantastic noise. You can also email us on fantasticnoise at beds.ac.uk. Before we finish, it's time for the Radio Word of the Week. Today it is Jack... A jack is an audio connector on nearly every audio device. There are different types of jacks, like mono, stereo, TRRS, 3.5mm, quarter inch. I won't bore you with the details of each. Increasingly, USB technology like Type-C is being used instead of traditional jacks, but in a radio studio, and with our Radiolab outside broadcast kit, I'm often using five or six different types of audio jack. So it's probably a good idea to get a basic understanding of it all. So the next time you hear someone talking about the Jack not working in the studio, it's probably not some infamous host causing trouble. Jack is the radio word of the week. That is it for this episode of Fantastic Noise. Thanks so much for joining us. There will be another episode next week. Do subscribe, give us a review and rating, and follow us on social media at a Fantastic Noise for future updates and previews. Thanks again to our guest today, Georgia Cohn, producer and journalist for the BBC Long Form Audio Department. Our artwork was produced by Stu Elvin, that's Stu with a double O, and our theme music is by Liam Eaton, remixed by Daniel Potter. This podcast was produced by me for the University of Bedfordshire's radio team, part of the School of Arts and Creative Industries, and recorded in the studios of Radiolab 97.1 FM. This, I hope you'll agree, has been a fantastic noise.